0: hey everybody it's matt thanks for tuning in to our growing greater podcast we're kicking off this episode with a special thank you to the team at the university of pennsylvania academic life at Penn. It's unparalleled. Students from every state in the U.S. and nearly 100 countries around the world make up the Penn community. Consistently ranked among the top 10 universities in the country, Penn's award-winning educators, researchers, and scholars encourage students to pursue inquiry and discovery. To follow their passions and to address the world's most challenging problems through an interdisciplinary approach. With a research budget of nearly $1 billion and more than 4,000 active faculty members, Penn's scale and their R&D expertise, that's what sets them apart. Learn more about all that Penn has to offer by visiting upenn.edu. That's upenn.edu. And join me in thanking the University of Pennsylvania for their support of our growing greater podcast this is growing greater greater. bringing you the stories of economic growth job creation and business success from across the 11 county community of northern delaware southern new jersey and southeastern pennsylvania now here's matt gabrie
1: We're busier today than we were a month ago.
0: That's Joe Fetterman. He leads the life sciences real estate practice in the U.S. for Colliers International, one of the world's leading real estate services and investment management companies. And while we're releasing this episode of Growing Greater in the midst of an unprecedented global pandemic when many businesses are closed and daily work activities are being conducted remotely or sitting in idle, Joe's team is among those who are actually busier than normal the expertise that Joe and his colliers team provide centers on real estate and it's all about mapping strategic solutions for healthcare and life sciences clients regionally nationally and globally from R&D work at the lab bench to manufacturing and supply chain needs to the regulatory and commercialization process Joe's team is focused on how COVID-19 is and will continue to impact the full life cycle of the life sciences sector. And they're working hard to help their clients manage and adapt to their evolving real estate needs. This impact, it's spelled out in a recent white paper where Joe and his team outline five immediate trends that they expect to see as the life sciences sector continues to navigate COVID-19. Joe joined us to share insights about his work and how the life sciences sector can traverse these uncertain times. Here, Joe outlines Colliers International and the work that he and his team are focused on.
1: So, Matt, if it's appropriate, I will tell them that Colliers International is one of the five global real estate platforms. But usually I move off of that pretty quickly, and you know how it is when you're talking to a neighbor. These days, not so much backyard barbecue, more dog walking from across the street. But those conversations are happening because turns out I've got a few neighbors I never knew I had. And the question does come up. And what I tell them is that I work in the commercial real estate sector. I work exclusively with healthcare and life science clients. So on the healthcare side, that's physician practices and healthcare systems And on the life sciences side, pretty easy to say, you know, I'm working with the growing drug development companies and it's an exciting time to be working with those companies. It's just a very inspiring opportunity to work with companies that are really transforming the way we deliver cures to patients. So that's my default. That's where the conversation goes, that we're working with those companies that are bringing life-changing cures. I couldn't be more thrilled to be doing
0: it. And in that spirit, Joe, I want to focus on the white paper that you and your team produced. I would suggest in a pretty focused amount of time following the containment activities that were rolled out in the United States, Back in mid-March, I'm gonna put March sixteenth as kind of that stake in the ground, at least for Greater Philadelphia. But I know it was happening a couple weeks before that in certain areas of the country as well, depending on the severity of the spread of the virus. And your team came out with some really thoughtful industry trends that you're anticipating will impact specifically the life sciences sector. And you have a nice concise and succinct approach to these five trends. And I'd love to dive into each of those five trends, and hopefully folks who are interested can find your white paper on the Collier's website to learn a little bit more about the nuance here. But the first one that you have touched on is how lab productivity may be impacted as the containment efforts to control the spread of this virus kind of take hold and continue to take hold.
1: Yeah. So, Matt, there's no doubt of necessity that will happen. You know, there's the distinction between critical and non critical work. And I suspect that for the most part, almost all of the companies in the region that are doing, you know, groundbreaking research could categorize themselves as critical. But what I've observed is that the physical distancing requirements, the directive to stay at home to the fullest extent possible, and the fact that our labs for the most part, were not designed to completely enable that kind of physical distancing, that we've seen a significant slowing. So my assessment is the groups that are working on COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, as we refer to it in the white paper, those groups are hard at it. I mean, they may be doing it in shifts just to maintain distancing, but they are ongoing and working hard. Other groups are looking at what they have going on and really evaluating what in their portfolio of activity is critical. They're certainly taking care of any work that they have that is. Highly sensitive, and that has to be checked on routinely. So, that is absolutely being done because the cost for loss in those cases would be significant. The others have really slowed things down significantly, understanding that they can pick it up when it's appropriate and that they will reevaluate how they go about it when that time comes. So, there's a full continuum, but in the aggregate, there's certainly a slowing down of activity, and there's also a diversion of resources. I know that when we wrote the paper, What we were hearing from a number of our clients and other companies in the marketplace were that they were making sure that the PPE and the raw materials that were needed for the SARS-CoV-2 research, that all of that resource was going in that direction. And, you know, Matt, it's really exciting to know that that's how the life science community operates.
0: Absolutely. And Joe, I do want to share with folks that you and I are having this conversation inside the second week of April. So we're starting to see some traction, at least from a lab and research perspective. I totally agree with you. You know, when these kinds of activities happen, there's either a slowing end or a reprioritizing of tasks from a lab and R&D perspective. And to your point, that's absolutely been happening and folks are shifting gears. And I do know there's been recent news reports of some promising work happening through Penn and through local pharmaceutical companies in the greater Philadelphia region. Recent news about activities at Jefferson, where they're advancing some of their early R&D work related to a potential vaccination for the COVID-19 virus. And I know that's happening in other parts of the country as well. From a real estate perspective, I'm pivoting to our second point or the second trend that you and your team are anticipating. And that is expansion activity and how companies are thinking about expanding their footprint, their geographic operation to be more nimble, to tap in the new talent, to be more cost effective based on where they choose to establish operations. And, And I would suspect now there's a lot of thinking going on around diversification so that all of their research eggs or all of their manufacturing eggs when it comes to life sciences are not in one geographic basket, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, that's a great point. So at the time when we wrote this, what we observed was what many people are referring to as pumping of brakes. I think everybody was in a bit of a moment of shock. Not that people didn't anticipate that this was coming, but I think the reality of the stay at home, the social distancing, all of those realities just caused everybody to move into a wait and see mode. So we had deals, you know, across the continuum where in one case, the transaction, I would have told you, Matt, that it probably would have gotten signed on the Friday before the Monday in my world where I sort of thought the wheels came off. By that Monday, it was a new world. And they said, you know what? we need to wait and see. We have other clients who came to us and said, you know what, we're going to put things on hold for six to eight months. You know, we need the air to clear so we know what's happening. What I've observed since is that I think people have begun to digest that initial information so that they're past the initial shock. They're dealing with the reality of the situation in real time. And they're also realizing that at some point we got to get back to work. and Matt, you know very well just how robust our Philadelphia Life Science Cluster is today. I mean, there are between 80 and 90 drug development companies at all stages of development, many of whom are actively looking at their next step in the progression of their lab and office space. And in some cases, that's lab, office, and even manufacturing. So there's a lot of process going on right now in terms of companies figuring out their next move. So while that was put on hold, or at least paused briefly, I think people are now sticking their head out a little bit, and slowly but surely, the wheels and the process are beginning to go again. And Matt, as you also know, right now, we're particularly in the University City area, there's very, very limited amount of lab space. And so people are planning for six, nine, 12, 18 months out when new supply of lab space comes into play and they need to be positioned so they can't totally shut it down because they need to be at the right point in time when things ramp up that they've got their block of space carved out for themselves. Now, we also know that the delivery of space has gotten slowed because of the moratorium on construction and, you know, I mean, groups are attempting to get waivers so that they can keep things moving. So, in a sense, the whole thing has slowed down, both from the supply and the demand side. But we fully anticipate it to rent that the pressures that we were feeling before the COVID 19 outbreak are every bit as much still there. And we expect that in time that will ramp up and accelerate rapidly.
0: I want to dive into the nuance of that a little bit more, Joe, and it's kind of tied to, you know, the second trend that your team had pointed out, which is the delay of critical expansion activities. And as you rightly so point out with your team in the white paper, you know, the whole focus on manufacturing in the life sciences, specifically in this niche area of cell and gene therapy, which the greater Philadelphia region really has a leading area of expertise that they can point to that serving not only as a center of excellence, but also as a center of attraction and a clustering of others who want to come here to work with researchers and tap into the expertise of the R&D, but also the manufacturing space. And where I'm going with this, Joe, is this focus on, and you've been touching on this a little bit in terms of how some of this manufacturing supply chain, it actually may see a little bit more of a pop in a local approach as opposed to a diversified geographic approach. I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about that focus.
1: Well, Matt, I couldn't agree more. I think that you know, this SARS-CoV-2 outbreak has really shined a bright light on how dependent our supply chain system is on global supply, and in particular, supply not only of critical raw material ingredients... But also, I mean, we've heard it many times, the concern about actual pharmaceuticals that we're dependent on supply chain from China. And I am confident that the U.S. pharmaceutical sector and also the supply chain and manufacturing, as you talk about with the gene and cell work that's going on, that dependency is not a sustainable situation. If we get Shocks in the system. So this I would consider to be a major, major shock to the system. And, you know, I'm hopeful, as I know everyone else is, that this is the extreme case. But number one, we don't know that. And even if it's not the extreme case, there may be, I mean, even if this is the extreme case, there may be other less sustained, less dramatic shocks but those shocks can introduce delay and impact in the supply chain. So our expectation is several things, that the raw material supply is going to become significantly more domestic and even possibly local. Equally important, in, among those 80 to 90 drug development companies that we spoke about, The lion's share of those companies are relying on contract research organizations and contract manufacturing organizations that are out of the market. And with the restriction on travel and the stay-at-home restrictions, and by the way, we still don't know what that's going to look like when we get unlocked, as it were. Are there going to be constraints on who can travel? Do you have to have evidence of having had COVID-19 and now you have the immunity to it? Have you quarantined for the 14? You know, we don't know how far and wide we're going to be enabled to travel and when that's going to happen. So if you think about that and you've got all these drug development companies, and by the way, it's not unique to Philadelphia. I just happen to be very familiar with the Philadelphia situation, who on occasion need to go and interface with their contract research location or their manufacturing location, spend two days there and review, that can't happen right now. And my sense is that that's going to be a very important factor in what I expect will be momentum to solving one of the circumstances in the Philadelphia Life Sciences Cluster that many of us are hard at work on, which is We need to have local, smaller-scale manufacturing to support these drug development companies.
0: Absolutely. To put a fine point on that, Joe, one of the thoughts going through my mind and our team's mind at Select Greater Philadelphia as we think about how do we effectively attract companies to the talent pool that's here in Greater Philadelphia is there's a real benefit to having your R&D team, your manufacturing team, your administrative and commercialization team, your regulatory team being maybe a couple floors away, a couple blocks away, or a couple miles away as opposed to you know, in different parts of the country and different parts of the world. Is that fair? I absolutely agree. So, Joe, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about investment activity in the life sciences. We've seen a lot of activity in recent years. It's an exciting space for funders who are passionate about helping others, but also want to invest into portfolios that they can see some reliable and promising growth How's the investment world going to be impacted when they look at the life sciences community specific to the COVID-19 situation?
1: Well, Matt, without a doubt, you said it well, this has been just a robust period of time between M&A activity venture funding and IPOs. I don't think we've seen a period much quite like the last 12 months here in Philadelphia. And what's exciting about that is that you now have some of the larger leading drug development companies really well-funded and able to accelerate the work that they're doing. So there's no doubt that the uncertainty in the capital markets has slowed that down, although I'm encouraged to say we have seen a couple of financings recently, even post- So that means that they were sufficiently far along in the process that they were able to get done in spite of the uncertainties that we're dealing with. So we're, once again, we're going to see a flat period for a time. But Matt, there's no doubt that this sector is going to be red hot on the other side because if nothing else, this period has shined a bright light on how absolutely essential investment in preventative and curative therapies is to our long-term future. Sorry for my co-worker here.
0: <laughs> so, Joe, I did want to talk a little bit about the regulatory environment. and I want to position this as having worked in the life sciences space for about a decade, I've come to appreciate the importance of the partnership that regulators have with R&D organizations and life sciences companies who are investing a lot of time and resources into researching and conducting the clinical trials and ultimately meeting all the protocols to ensure that treatments are safe and effective and can benefit Society long term. And it's a real partnership that I think has been accentuated certainly during this time of COVID 19, but even in recent years, there's a greater appreciation for the relationship between regulators and pharmaceutical biotech manufacturers of medicines and treatments and devices and the speed at which these researchers are working is really incredible it's it's unlike anything we've seen before and that's going to reflect on the speed of the regulatory process as well. And I was hoping you could dive into that topic a little bit more based on what you're anticipating as one of the trends in the white paper that you and the team at Collier's have produced.
1: Well, Matt, it's a great point. And once again, you know, it's hard to talk about silver linings when, you know, given the severity of what we're dealing with today. But there are some silver linings. And one of them is that there's a bright light that's being shined on the FDA approval process and calling attention both at the leadership level, but I think also at the general public level. And you know well from your days that it's a complex process. I mean, the business of doing trials, first of all, getting someone to agree to sponsor a trial getting the the participants, the patients to participate in the trial, all of those things take time and then the process of the trial itself. One of the interesting things about what we're dealing with now is we've got ready-made volunteers to try potential therapies and cures for COVID-19. And so it's all much like the field operations that you're seeing, you know, the Javits Center set up, those kind of things, the Navy ship, Trials are being done. They're field trials. You know, it's a different day in terms of how this is being done because of the sense of urgency. That fact will enable a speedier process. And, you know, it remains to be seen how speedy, but we've seen announcements in the news now, I think two or three of them, that certain therapies are being released for use. And some of that's in the trial context. The other thing to take away from this is that Well, first of all, relative to some of the gene and cell therapies, they've been getting somewhat of a uh, fast lane in the approval process, and that in itself is encouraging because some of the processes are somewhat replicated so that once a certain approval has been granted, if something is related to and associated, there's kind of a clearer path to the finish line. doesn't mean it's a total path, but it does perhaps accelerate the process, But the other thing that comes out of this is I think that the FDA will look at how can we streamline our process? What can we actually learn from this critical situation that we're dealing with? And how can we take that going forward? Because while we may not have the level of crisis that COVID-19 has presented and the magnitude of numbers, we've got a number of conditions that are impacting our population at a large scale. And the quicker that these cures that are being developed in the lab and then expanded and in trials, the quicker that they can get in the hands of patients, the better. And I think that whole scale is getting reevaluated. So we're not going to throw safety out the window by any means, but I think we're going to look hard at how can we maintain safety? What can we learn from this and how can we deliver cures to patients who desperately need them more quickly.
0: That's a really good point, Joe. And to your point, it does go beyond the current situation of a virus that is as devastating as the one we're dealing with right now with the coronavirus. And it does lend itself to think about how we can fast track appropriately, maintaining all eyes on safety and efficacy when it comes to other kinds of treatments, especially those in the rare disease space that typically have been either left by the wayside or placed on a secondary platform for a variety of reasons, including the complexity of all this. So I love the approach that you're articulating here that this is going to have a ripple effect when it comes to the regulatory environment. What I'd like to touch on next just very briefly is big picture, you know, from a life sciences sector perspective, is this a a major roadblock that the industry is hitting or is this just like a little, you know, it's significant, but are we going to look back on this in the next five, 10 years from now and think about the first and second quarter of 2020 and see this as a major roadblock that prevented expansion or is this just a small blip that we have to navigate?
1: Matt, I think we're hitting a temporary speed bump. I think we hit it hard, so it was quite a bump. And we're going through the process of it. And to a certain extent, I think the seeds of recovery are being sowed right now. Again, we talked earlier about how companies, you know, if nothing else, I know there are a lot of my clients who are actively, they're in huddle mode. There's Zoom and WebEx and Teams are getting a ton of use and there are a lot of meetings going on. And, you know, it absolutely is a pause point, but it's also a pause point with a little bit of a wake up call. What were we not anticipating that we need to be thinking about now? So I think that my sense is that we've got to get a little bit further through this. We've got to see how the relaxation of the restrictions goes down. But When there starts to be some clarity around that, and let me underscore that, I think one of the most challenging things for all of us, really, but I also would say for the leadership of companies in the life science sector, one of the most challenging things is the lack of clarity and the level of uncertainty about what we've got and where things are going to go. So once the uncertainty starts to come down, and the clarity starts to elevate, I think these companies are going to have a much clearer picture. I think they're going to be in a much better position to both drive the growth process and the next steps that they were already working on, but also prepare better for disruption, to start thinking more broadly about what might the disruptions to our plan be, and how do we need to protect against those disruptions, do we need to, and Matt, it's funny, I think you mentioned this very early on in the conversation, do we need to diversify a little bit geographically? Do we need to have a fallback plan so that if our full staff can't be on site in our primary place of work, how can we continue to advance and accelerate in the event we face another challenge that's hopefully not nearly as extreme as this, but nonetheless, that could disrupt our process. And so I think that's a lot of what's going on. And candidly, I think once things get clearer, once things get relaxed, I think the momentum will pick up very, very quickly. I think you'll see that on the investment side. I think you'll see that on the planning and execution of expansion side. You know, the construction will return. And I know that all those developers and contractors are now very cognizant uh, of the fact that There could be disruptions that we have not seen before, and we need to have a very tight organization so we can make sure that the things that we need are on site so we can keep going and keep our people safe.
0: And speaking of providing excellent service for their clients and the community, let's thank the team at CIC in Philadelphia. CIC, that stands for Cambridge Innovation Centers. And here in Greater Philadelphia, CIC operates at 3675 Market Street, right in the heart of U City Square in West Philadelphia's University City neighborhood. At the core of the CIC model, it's their belief in the entrepreneur. The people of CIC recognize that invention propels. Innovation and that collaboration drives a thriving community. For startups and expanding enterprises, CIC provides a home from which to work, allowing innovators to easily access resources and create positive global impact. CIC provides private offices and co working spaces, state of the art wet lab space, high quality, flexible 30 day terms stocked community kitchens, unmetered access to conference rooms, enterprise-grade internet services, operational and technical support, printing and copy services, high-end furniture, concierge services, and so much more. At CIC, you'll have access to everything you need, including hundreds of other like-minded and diverse entrepreneurs and service providers, investors, and mentors. Learn more at CIC.com slash Philadelphia. That's CIC.com slash Philadelphia. And join me in thanking CIC for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Now let's get back to our conversation with Joe Fetterman of Collier's. Joe, I want to pull the conversation back a little bit to our greater Philadelphia community. There's been a lot of vibrancy and a lot of traction, generally speaking, when it comes to economic growth and business growth in the greater Philadelphia region. I would suggest over the past 10, 12, 15 years or so, and it continues to really thrive. This too will be a hiccup for us, uh, certainly as it will be for many urban areas and many parts of the country and parts of the world from an economic perspective. I anticipate the recovery being pretty swift, and I know all of us hope that's true, and I want to dive in a little bit to what makes Greater Philadelphia unique. I know you've made this your home for nearly 40 years, if not longer, and you've seen the best of greater Philadelphia. You've also seen greater Philadelphia at a time when it wasn't so great. And there is something special happening here. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you're seeing from University City to the Navy Yard to King of Prussia to Wilmington, Delaware. Bucks County has a thriving biotech space as well. Southern New Jersey has lots of different opportunities that continue to emerge for life sciences companies as well. And if you could just Share with us a little bit about your perspective on what's happening in greater Philadelphia from an economic development perspective as well as from a life sciences specific perspective.
1: Yeah, well, that's a a great topic. And Matt, as you were asking the question, my attention went initially to what's happened to us as a region for a moment, not so much on the life sciences side, but in general, when you think about the amount of new housing units that have been developed for ownership and for rent in center city Philadelphia. When you think about the cultural expansions, when you think about the investments that have been made in the city to really re-energize the city as a world-class destination city and a a world-class city to live in, I think that's a, a very important, meaningful factor. The second thing I'll say, Matt, is that, you know, we are an Ed's and Med's city. And so, you know, when you look at the strength of the infrastructure here in Philadelphia as it relates to life sciences, so it begins with the universities, the medical schools, and the institutional research backbone that is aggregated here in Philadelphia. You know, look at the NIH grant monies that come into Philadelphia. We are a huge, huge, attractor of those funds. And that in itself is meaningful because that continues to both retain and attract the kind of talent that we want in this cluster. Add to that the fact that historically, you know, if you go Wilmington to North Brunswick, New Jersey, you've got the largest aggregation of big pharma in the country, bar none. And while some of that has been shuttered, Nonetheless, the concentration here is still major. And so the amount of talent that's aggregated on the perimeter all around the city is huge. So start with that as incredible foundational blocks. And then you add to that the vision for the Navy Yard that PIDC and when they brought Liberty Property Trust to the table to become the developer and, Matt, if you go way back in time, you know, our team had a hand in putting what was then Wuxi APTEC, it was actually APTEC on day one, as the first new development project at the Navy Yard. And look at what's transpired since with Wuxi's expansion down there, you know, Adaptimmune, you've got the Iovance project coming in. I mean, so there's been great leadership at PIDC in really – revisioning the Navy Yard as one potential place where all of that can happen. PIDC has also been actively looking at areas in the Gray's Ferry segment that are ripe for development, and that's something that we anticipate will be moving forward and will be another building block, which could conceivably put manufacturing right at the back door of the institutional research hub. There's Pennovation, which is even closer.
0: That's right. I was just going to mention that. I know it's referred to oftentimes as the lower Schuylkill kind of area of South Philadelphia that, to your point, Joe, is adjacent to Pennovation, which is a great clustering spot for innovators of all sorts, including in the life sciences.
1: Look at the development that is both projected and also underway and some of it completed on Market Street. So I mentioned earlier in the conversation that I was involved with the Science Center back in the late 80s and into the 90s. And, you know, if you, if you went down a month ago to 3675 and walked through the front doors of that building, you know, the vibrancy, it's just a fun place to sit and be because you can feel the energetic vibe in that space. And to their credit, Wexford has taken the lab building to the next level. And, you know, they're going to, in their next project, One U City Square, they're going to take everything they've learned from that building and keep improving on that. So that cluster of space is now truly state-of-the-art and really resembles exactly the direction that we want to go to facilitate the convergence of the science community, their ability to interact and communicate, and to have ample lab space to support the 80 to 90 companies that we talked about. And then if we move now to the east and go down to Schuylkill Yards, you know that Spark has now taken over the Bulletin building with some plans to continue their expansion down there. Brandywine Realty Trust with Longfellow is talking about a 500,000-square-foot new lab building. So we're going to see a lower Market Street cluster right around 30th Street. And, you know, look, at some point that whole thing could be connected. We could have, you know, the Market Street Life Sciences Corridor. We could even see it possibly jump the bridge. You know, if I really put on my most excited glasses and and think about this thing really exploding, we get calls probably once a week now, Matt, with developers who are either really eyeing the life sciences sector because they recognize that this is going to be a significant growth opportunity for real estate development, or secondly, from big national life sciences developers who are not players in Philadelphia. I would say a call a week saying, We'd really like to talk to you about what project opportunities you can make us aware of, because we'd really like to do something here in Philadelphia. So it is a tremendously exciting time, both with what's happening in the university environment, with what's happening in these 80 to 90 drug development companies, and just what's happening in the real estate sector in support of that. And I think everybody's gotten the message. There's just a ton of momentum. I mean, we're looking at five projects right now scheduled to come out of the ground, which will yield somewhere between another million and a half to two and a quarter million square feet of flat space.
0: Well, that is great news. And the fact that your team continues to get inquiries from those who are interested in learning more about the possibility of establishing operations in greater Philadelphia is also really promising and really reassuring. And I love your reference to jumping the bridge a couple moments ago where, you know, basically connecting University City and U City Square with what I would essentially call the central business district, if that's the bridge you're referring to over the Schuylkill River. And I would take that a step further and say, you know, the beauty of Greater Philadelphia is that we have options for lots of different organizations to consider establishing and growing their companies, thanks to the talent and the infrastructure we have here, whether it's in Center City, Philadelphia, University City, the Navy Yard, Southern New Jersey, Northern Delaware, the Pennsylvania suburbs, there's a real estate solution for almost every challenge. And it's right here in greater Philadelphia. Joe, in the interest of time, I want to wrap up closing questions. Mm-hmm. And each of these questions really center on the theme of our program, Growing Greater. And I want to start with what you want Collier's International clients to know about what's happening now related to the coronavirus and how your team is reacting and your ability to continue to provide expert guidance and advice during these uncertain times, but also beyond. And let's start with that one. What do you want Collier's International clients to really know and appreciate about the work that you and your team are doing specific to the life sciences?
1: Well, I guess, Matt, the first thing I want our clients and our prospective clients to know is that we're hard at it right now. This stay-at-home thing has, in fact, I would say we're busier today than we were a month ago. And so we've got a lot going on. We are literally on the phone or on Zoom sessions all day long. We're talking to developers. We're talking to clients. We're talking to prospects. So most importantly, we want to make sure that we are staying in front of the information that our clients need to know, that we're staying in front of and understanding the challenges that they're facing, and that we're working on those solutions for those challenges. And, again, I mean, I'm hard at working on a virtual tour today. Can we get someone who's already at the facility to take their – device and walk us through the spaces so that our client can have a really clear understanding of the space what's already in the space what the extent of the renovations will be because while we talked about a physical tour we all made the right decision which is this is not the week to be out and about and so all of our efforts are really about gathering information and providing solutions right now and we're hard at that
0: that thing that keeps you up at night, Joe, you can change one thing. It could be about your industry. It could be about the greater Philadelphia real estate landscape. That thing that causes you to say, man, if we could just get this right, we could really deliver some positive change and grow even greater than we have been. And that's the thing that, that I wish we could tackle. And if I had that magic wand, this is what I would ultimately do.
1: Matt, there is, and I'm so glad you brought it up because one of the things that we work hard at, and by the way, it's not just us, so let me take this opportunity, Matt, to acknowledge your group and all that you and your team do every day, the chamber and that broader team, the folks at PIDC who are really hard at work trying to find solutions that will accelerate the pace at which the Philadelphia cluster can grow. So that is it for me and for our team. We recognize that right now some of the things that we talked about earlier, the small-scale manufacturing, the clinical-scale research work, and some of the development for trials, that's not happening here in Philadelphia enough. That activity is leaving the market. And for that matter, we talked earlier about all the money that's being raised for these companies Unfortunately, a significant amount of that money is leaving our market to go find a home where that research and or development or manufacturing activity can occur. So the thing that I spend a significant amount of my time thinking about and organizing around when we're not working directly on client activity is how can we solve for that Because we have a magnificent moment right now. Even in spite of the SARS-CoV-2, the whole dynamic, that moment is simply paused. And it's actually a really good time for us to gain some ground on this to solve the financial challenges. You know, we're in a unique sector because all the players in this sector require significant capital investment, to create the labs and or manufacturing space they need. And at the same time, when a, a real estate developer sits down and looks at them on a credit risk profile, they're not entirely a great look. So that is a fundamental structural challenge that we need to identify solutions for. And that's, if I had to say, that's the thing that keeps me up at night because the trajectory for Philadelphia We could be, so if you think of us as a four to six life science cluster in the national continuum, we could easily, easily be the number three with the San Francisco cluster and the Boston cluster perhaps being one and two, whichever is the one. And I am so excited about, and yet concerned about our ability to do the right things to make that happen and to get the support from the state level, from the city level, from the institutional level, and maybe even from the big pharma level to create the ecosystem here in Philadelphia to really accelerate that process. Because I do feel like it's almost an exponential relationship. We could do well, but we could do unbelievably well. And I'm really hopeful that we can hit that ladder. In this case, the hockey stick curve is the one we want.
0: And I'm hopeful we can get that. To dive deeper into the nuances of the real estate needs and the impact COVID-19 is having and could continue to have on the life sciences sector, check out the white paper from Joe and his team at Colliers International. It's on their website at colliers.com. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review our podcast and share it with friends and colleagues and family and through social media. Tune in to other episodes of Growing Greater at Radio.com, wherever you listen to your podcasts or at SelectGreaterPHL.com slash podcast. As we wrap this episode, let's thank the team at WSFS Bank. We stand for service. That captures the spirit of WSFS Bank. You know, their friends call them WSFIS, and they are the seventh oldest continuously operating bank in the United States. A permanent fixture here in our greater Philadelphia community, Wissfis is a service-oriented, locally-managed community banking institution. And the professionals of wissfis they've been servicing businesses of all sizes, as well as growing families with a wide range of banking services. And the Wissfis team, they continue to implement innovative tactics to streamline all aspects of personal and and business banking activities. You can learn more at WSFSBank.com. And join me in thanking WSFS Bank for their support of our Growing Greater podcast and for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey and Southeastern Pennsylvania and helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Carmazan and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our chamber. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in anytime and anywhere you get your podcasts or online at selectgreaterphl.com podcast.